This is episode number 146, The Four Mindsets for Success with Dr. Ryan Godfredson. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, inspiring stories, and sports science to help you be better every day. 90% of our thinking, feeling, judging, and acting is driven by our non-conscious automatic processing. That means essentially everything that we do is below our conscious surface. Until we can awaken to that aspect about us that's below the surface, we're kind of stuck in autopilot mode. Doing this podcast is such a privilege because it helps me fulfill my purpose and the things that make me feel good. And I just wanna remind people of what's already in them and that there's a lot of power that we have that's untapped and unrealized, or maybe we just don't think that we can do some of those things that we've always wanted to do. And I've just been so happy to be able to share everything that I've learned along the way through racing my bike around the world, taking on the hardest events, starting multiple businesses. And it's just been also helpful and motivating for me to get to connect with all of these amazing guests and also to spend time every single Monday for Crush It Mondays trying to come up with new topics that help me be better too. So thanks so much for joining me, you guys. It really means a lot to me. And Thank you so much for the messages you've been sending, for the thoughtful reviews that you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one of them, and it just means the world to me. So thank you very much for doing that. I'm pretty excited about today's guest, and I even learned a bunch of stuff about some of the different mindsets that I hadn't even heard of before. So I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Ryan Godfredson. He has his PhD, and he is a mental success coach and cutting-edge leadership consultant, author, trainer, and researcher. He helps improve organizations, leaders, teams, and employees by improving their mindsets and mindfulness. Ryan's PhD is in organizational behavior and human resources from Indiana University. He's also a leadership and management professor at California State University, Fullerton. Dr. Godfredson commonly asks, what is the mindset that is important for success? And many people answer a positive mindset. And while a positive mindset is correct, it leaves little descriptive information or ways to improve on that mindset. And through his research, He has identified four key elements of what creates a success mindset to help you as an individual and also help how you and others work in a team or even in your family relationships. We'll get into growth versus fixed mindsets, which is something you guys are probably familiar with, but some of the ones you probably haven't heard of as much are open versus closed mindsets, prevention versus promotion mindset, and outward versus inward mindset. And I learned the most about myself with the outward versus inner mindset. And if you're curious where you fall on the spectrum of all of these mindsets, he has developed a mindset assessment tool that you can take for free on his website. So you can go to ryangotfordson.com or you can go to the show notes and there's a link for the mindset assessment tool. I took the mindset assessment tool before recording this podcast and I learned the most about myself from the outward versus inward mindset and had no idea of some of the tendencies that I was already doing. So I'll let you guys listen to the podcast and I won't ruin it. I'll let Ryan get into detail about what those are. So some topics that we discussed in today's podcast is what is organizational behavior, social psychology applied to leadership, breaking down the elements of what a positive mindset is, Dr. Godfredson's mindset assessment tool, 
the four mindsets that we talked about risk-taking, and the cycle of self-deception. So I think there's a lot to learn today. I think you guys are going to love this episode and you're going to love Dr. Ryan. I hope you guys enjoy it. And before we hop right in, thank you to those of you supporting my work financially on Patreon. It does make a big difference. Even just a couple of bucks a month makes a really big difference to this show. I have a fantastic team of people who help get two episodes a week up on time and also help make it sound good. We have a professional musician who also is the podcast engineer to make this sound good, Roma, our sound engineer. And we also have Tina, who is my assistant and helps make sure that guests get booked and everything goes smoothly with uploading the show. So thank you to them. And thank you to you guys for continuing to support my work. And I really couldn't do this without you. Podcasting is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. And there's actually a lot of financial things that go into keeping a podcast up and running. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. It's also in the show notes. So here is Dr. Ryan Godfordson. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ryan Godfordson. Yes, how are you? It's great to be on with you. Oh, it's exciting to chat with you. I've actually never met anybody that had their PhD in organizational behavior and human resources. All right, I'm the first one. You're the first one. Great. Yeah, and you're a leadership and management professor at California State University, right? Yep. At Cal State Fullerton. Yep. Cool. So can you tell us more about your PhD? Because it sounds really interesting. And based on some of the articles you've written and the research, I'm sure the audience would like to hear more as well. Yeah. And I'm even going to take you back in time if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. So my favorite class in high school was a class that you're probably going to love, which was sports psychology. <laughs> and I don't know how many high schools out there have a class on sports psychology, but I took the class and I ate it up. So I grew up largely a basketball player. And so during that class, I still remember the books that I read. So I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. I read a book by Pat Riley, a book by Mike Krzyzewski, and a book by Rick Majerus, all on the topic of leadership. And I remember thinking as a high schooler, man, if I could have a career where I just was able to write books about leadership and talk about it, I would be set. But I just didn't know that there was a field of study out there specifically on leadership. So fast forward a couple of years, and I, at the time I was living out in Boston, and I met a, a professor at Harvard Business School. And I asked him, well, what do you teach? And he says, organizational behavior. And I said, well, what's organizational behavior? And he goes on to describe organizational behavior. And it's essentially what my sports psychology class is about. And he says, this is the field of study where you study leadership. And I said, like the you know angels were singing because this is exactly what I wanted to get into. And so from that point forward, I knew I wanted to jump into the field of organizational behavior because it would allow me the ability to study leadership and be able to put me in a position to hopefully help people become not only better leaders, but just better people in general. I love that. And I, like you, had never really heard of leadership as like a topic of study until it was the very end of finishing my master's degree and it was in engineering, but there was like this leadership and management course you could take. And it was literally the last course I took. And I thought, this is really awesome. And I wish I had found out about this sooner. I know, right? Yeah. I also think it's amazing that you had that course available to you in high school. My husband, Matt, he played basketball up through university and I grew up playing tennis 
And we both uh-huh. were talking about this morning just how amazing it would have been to have learned about sports psychology at a younger age and how we were both so emotionally immature in our sports and how just having that access to that would have been such a game changer. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a game changer regardless of our age, right? Because what I've found through some of the research that I've kind of dove into, and I guess I'll preface this by saying, so my major for my doctoral program was organizational behavior and human resources, and my dissertation was on leadership, but then my minor's on social psychology. So I'm bringing in the psychology element to leadership. And one of the things that I have been learning, the more and more that I focus on leadership and then in particular mindsets, which we'll jump into, is that 90% of our thinking, feeling, judging, and acting is driven by our non-conscious automatic processing. And that means essentially everything that we do is kind of below our conscious surface. And until we can awaken to that aspect about us that's below the surface, we're kind of stuck in autopilot mode. And so to me, like now that I know what I know, when I think back to my athletic days is I was just kind of on autopilot doing what I thought was best unaware of that there are better ways to see and think about and process the world to become more successful. And and so, and I think, again, that's at any level. The more that we can awaken to the aspects about us that drive our non-conscious automatic processing, the more successful that we're going to be. I totally agree with that. And it was interesting that I never came to the whole mindset field until I started doing these really long ultra-endurance mountain bike events because there's all these emotions and feelings and experiences that would come up because you're exhausted and you're in the middle of nowhere and everything gets really heightened and you have to figure out like how you want to deal with things. And yeah. so I started researching that stuff more and it first started with looking at psychology saying, okay, well, oh, that's what I'm doing that that's helping me, but what can I do better? And this whole podcast, like a lot of it is about mindset and about helping people through experiences in their life, whatever those experiences may be and whatever the context of those experiences may be, but helping people get to know themselves better using a set group or not like a really fixed group of tools, but just like with a set of tools of self-assessment and self-awareness tools so that people can become just a better version of themselves. Yeah. And become conscious, right? Because As I go and I speak to different groups of people, I'll ask them the question, are mindsets important? And they kind of look at me as though it's a dumb question, which it kind of is, right? Because we all just generally understand that mindsets are important. But then I ask them the question, well, what mindsets do you need to have to be successful? And then it's just blank faces. I mean, it's either that or else they'll say a positive mindset. And there's nothing wrong with the answer positive mindset other than it's just kind of a vague answer. And so one of the things that I try to help folks do, and this is something that's come about through my research, is I've identified specific sets of mindsets and I put labels on mindset that allows us to introspect about those mindsets. Because if we don't have labels and if we can't identify specific mindsets, then we're never gonna be able to focus on them as a way to develop and improve ourselves. Yeah, the specificity part of saying a positive mindset, <laughs> that's really useful and helpful because saying, oh, I'm, a, I'm positive, that could mean like a number of different things. And even people that think they're positive might not be positive in certain situations. Yep. And going into, I want to go into the different mindsets that you like to teach about because I think that it's really interesting how you can be 
really open in one area and really struggle in another area. I don't want to give away all the uh, all the details. So that's why I'm being a little bit vague. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. And that's the thing that I found. So I focus on four different sets of mindsets that range on a continuum from negative to positive. And the way that I identified these mindset sets was I came across studies like you where you kind of learn, wow, mindsets are really important. And that led me to ask the question, well, what mindsets do I need to have? And as I dove into the academic research on this, I found that there's been pockets of research that have identified specific mindset sets, but they've kind of largely uh, op or been researched in isolation from each other across fields of psychology, management, marketing, and education. So what I've done is I've kind of brought these all together into a similar framework uh, or into one framework that allows us to kind of understand the breadth of our mindsets. And at first, and again, all of these four sets, and we'll dive into them, but they range on a continuum from negative to positive. And I just assumed that there would be a pretty high correlation across the positive mindsets, suggesting that if, if somebody's high on one mindset, they're likely going to be high on the other mindsets. And what I've found is that that's just not the case. I mean, the correlations are just really small. And so, in fact, I've had about 7,000 people take my mindset assessment. And across those 7,000 people, there's only 5% that are in the top quartile of all four sets of these mindsets. And so it suggests to us that most of us have work to do. And to me, that's not a surprise because most of us have, haven't given any sort of concerted effort for improving our mindsets. So why should we expect to be great at them? And so when most people take the mindset assessment, there's usually a few areas they're like, oh, yep, I've got some work to do. But that's kind of a great thing in my mind because that represents our starting point. We know where we are and now we have clarity on where we need to go. Yeah. And even if you are in that 5%, like there's still room to get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, that's one of the beauties of mindsets. I think it's always something you could work on. So I think the biggest challenge, like you said, like a lot of things that we do are subconscious and a lot of the decisions and biases are subconscious. So whenever someone's taking an assessment test, it has a certain degree of assuming that this person is able to be honest with himself and that they're going to answer the question accurately. So like it with the assessment tool, how do you kind of take that into account? Yeah, and that's always a challenge, and I'm glad you brought that up. So when people take the assessment, they'll get a score, which is their average along this continuum. It's on a one to seven scale. And what I've found is that usually the average is a little bit higher than the middle point. So the middle point would be a four. Usually the average is somewhere between a 4.5 and a 5.5, depending on the mindset set. So the average, I don't think, is, adds a whole lot of value to us. Where we get value from the assessment is it gives you a sense of where you stack up relative to the thousands of other people who have taken the assessment. And so I think the raw score is less valuable in terms of understanding ourselves. What is valuable is understanding where am I compared to thousands of other people? Because thousands of other people also have come to take the assessment being non-conscious of their mindsets. And they just kind of... so. It puts everybody, I think, on a level playing field. And now we're just comparing people, you know, one person to everybody else who's taken it. And so I think that that's where the value comes in is in, in this comparison. Yeah. So let's dive into the mindsets that you break down in this assessment tool. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that'd be great. And I think just to preface this, 
is the way that I define mindsets is our mindsets are the mental lenses that cause us to see the world in our own unique ways. And our mindsets are foundational to everything we do because how we see the world shapes how we think about the world, shapes how we behave within the world, and ultimately our success. So if we want to drill down to our very foundational level, that's going to be our mindsets because it's our mindsets that cause us to interpret the world in a certain way. So I like to call our mindsets our mental fuel filters because we pick up on unique cues within the environment and whatever cues we pick up on, that goes on to fuel our thinking, learning, and behavior. And so when we're talking about mindsets, really what we're talking about is not necessarily these mental or even physical lenses. We're talking about neural connections in the brain that cause us to interpret the information in our environment in a certain way. And so this is important to understand because when we get to the part of the conversation, when we talk about shifting our mindsets, what we're really talking about is shifting our neural connections to operate more positively. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Great. So the four sets of mindsets that I focus on are fixed and growth. So fixed being negative, growth being positive, closed and open, prevention and promotion, and inward and outward. So let's start with fixed and growth mindsets. So when we have a fixed mindset, we believe that our talents, abilities, and intelligence are things that can't change. But when we have a growth mindset, we believe our talents, abilities, and intelligence are things that can change. And what research has found across over 30 years is that about 50% of the population has more of a fixed mindset. The other half has more of a growth mindset. And the reason why this has such a big impact on our lives and even in athletic performance is that if we don't feel like we can improve our talents, abilities, and intelligence, and we fail, we're left to interpret that as though we are failures. And so when we have a fixed mindset, don't believe that we can improve, our number one focus becomes on looking good and avoiding failure. Have you seen that in terms of either your life or in the athletes that you've competed against? For sure. And, and I think that the growth and fixed mindset is probably the one that the listeners are most familiar with because I've talked about Carol Dweck's work quite a bit yeah. on the show. But it's really helpful to just keep hearing about it because I think that something people forget is that you can have a fixed mindset in one area of your life and a growth mindset in another area of your life. So you're not like an absolute growth mindset or fixed mindset person but it's just like being aware of when you're doing it. But yeah, keep going because this is awesome. So when we have this fixed mindset, we want our primary focus is on looking good, avoiding failure. We want to validate our talent. So we're only maybe only going to compete in the races where we know we can be successful as opposed to put ourselves in races where it's going to be a bigger challenge and more likelihood of failure. Or And so when we have this fixed mindset, we actually back away from challenges and we believe that success should come naturally to us. And if we have to put forth a lot of effort and have this fixed mindset, we're likely to kind of back away from the situation. To give you an example of that is I had a fixed mindset my freshman year of college. And so I went into college thinking I wanted to become a medical doctor. And so I took the Weeder chemistry course. And I promptly got the lowest grade that I've ever received. Now, I passed the class, but it was the lowest grade I'd ever received. And rather than kind of say to myself, hey, buckle down and start studying more, 
and devote more time to your studies. Just my fixed mindset didn't even go there. It said, oh, this didn't come naturally to you. You need to change your major. I mean, it didn't even occur to me, hey, becoming a medical doctor is going to be hard and you're going to have to bust your butt off, right? So that was kind of my fixed mindset talking. But those that have a growth mindset, they're not concerned about failing. Their primary concern is on learning and growing. So they look for challenges. They look for opportunities to push themselves and learn and grow. They believe that effort is the path to success and mastery. So they become willing to put forth their effort and they're gonna be more persistent than those with a fixed mindset. And remember, these mindsets for most of us are operating below our subconscious. So when we have a fixed mindset and we kind of, hey, I'm not signing up for this race, we're justifying that in our minds. We see that, oh, this is the best way to operate. And what we maybe not realize is that there's better ways to see the world around us and there's better ways to operate. Yeah. And I think that like the way that we praise people around us and the way that we even maybe praise ourselves can help feed into having more of a fixed or a growth mindset. Because when people use throw around the word talent or like I notice this in bike racing, people will say, oh, like they'll have done well in a race and they'll say, well, I barely even trained for it. Like it's this badge of honor or, you know, the appearance that you didn't work very hard at something because then it makes you look like you're naturally born with that. And the majority of people have to work super hard in order to achieve things. And there's no shame with that. And rewarding people on how hard they worked instead of what that end result is, is such a a shift. And being aware of how you're talking to people about that can just make such a big difference. Yeah, you're so right. So the research suggests that if you either compliment somebody or talk about yourself by saying, oh, I'm so talented or you're so talented, that's going to fuel this fixed mindset neural connections. But instead, if you say, hey, you're a really hard worker or you put in a lot of effort, well, that's going to start to activate these growth mindset neural connections. And so I I think you're right. I mean, the research suggests is how we talk to others and how we talk to ourselves really has an impact there. And the difference is, are we focused on the labels or are we focused on the effort? And, And that's the big distinguishing factor. Yeah. And transitioning from, you know, more of a fix to a growth mindset is really hard. Like being able to put yourself out there for maybe you've never done it before. Like you put yourself out there that very first time where you're probably not going to be the best at something. And then to experience those feelings and that quote failure, which I hate that word, but just like experiencing that, that loss of expectation, it's really tough that first time, but then realizing that, Hey, like I'm still a good person. I'm still able to get better and surrounding yourself with people who also can validate that, the, the fact that you aren't your results. You are more than that. Your effort is way more important. Like getting back up and being committed to growing and learning is so much more important than that end result. But that first time is just so hard. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's things we can do to simplify it or make it easier, right? So, you know, even what researchers have found is journaling about the times where you've taken on challenges and succeeded will help us in making those shifts. And one of the things that I feel like, or what came in my mind as you're saying that, is what you're gonna have to do if you shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, is you've got to actually change the yardstick by which you measure success, right? When you have a fixed mindset, you're measuring success by where you place relative to others. When you have a growth mindset, 
you change your measuring stick to say, how much effort did I put forth in this compared to previous times? And, and so now the yardstick is not against others, not that that's always bad necessarily, but our primary focus becomes on ourselves as our own competitor. Yeah. And, and I'll just for the listeners, a lot of the athletes, the top level athletes we've had on this show, and also the topic of my TED talk was about how these top performers define success. And many of them will say, initially, I define success in my racing as winning a race. But now if you if you go back, you listen to Catherine Pendrell, you listen to uh, oh, this one's coming out the week after yours, but her name's Allison Tetrick. She says, I define my success based on an effort that I'm proud of. And that effort might not be the number one against everybody else that day. But if you can be proud of the effort that you put down and the work you put into something and learning to value that over what the end result is, it's it's super powerful and it empowers you in, in really big ways in your life. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Cool. So let's move on to the next one. Great. So the next set is the difference between closed and open mindsets. So when we have a closed mindset, we're close to the ideas and suggestions of others. When we have an open mindset, we're open to ideas and suggestions of others, and we're willing to take them seriously. Now, I think one of the things that I've asked myself is why would people develop a closed mindset? Why would, they, why would we ever be close to the ideas and suggestions of others? And what I've come to understand is that the reason why people develop a closed mindset is they believe that what they know is right. And thus they wanna be seen as being right. So that's a big distinguishing factor of those with a closed mindset, is their primary focus is being seen as being right. When we wanna be seen as being right, we want to be the one that's providing the answers. We wanna avoid feedback, we wanna avoid new perspectives, and we see disagreements as threats, and oftentimes we'll get defensive. But those with an with a open mindset, they believe that it's at some level they could be wrong. So rather than focus on being seen as being right, they're focused on finding truth and thinking optimally. So they're willing to seek feedback, seek new perspectives, and they see disagreement as opportunities to learn. And so the big difference at the end of the day is that those with a closed mindset, again, are those that want to be seen as being right, whereas those with an open mindset are those that want to think optimally and find truth. And we could kind of jump into some of the implications of that. But does that make sense, the difference between the two? Yeah, for sure. Great. And, you know, I think one of the areas where when you think about the difference between closed and open mindsets, for me, in my mind, it's easy to see these come out really obviously when you start talking about the two things that you shouldn't talk about around the dinner table, right? Politics and religion, because these are things that people really identify with. And if there are alternative perspectives, they'll oftentimes put up their guard and don't allow people to kind of say what they wanna say or even just listen to their ideas. Well, ultimately at the end of the day, what a closed mindset does is it limits our perspectives and it limits the quality of our thinking and our decision making. It's really only those that have an open mindset that open themselves up to seeing new perspectives. And this allows them to learn, grow, be more creative, be more innovative. And at the end of the day, those with a closed mindset are kind of stuck where they are whereas those with an open mindset are the ones that are become able to progress in terms of their learning and development. 
So how does one become more open? Because when they're closed, they probably don't even realize that they're being closed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're so right. Because I mean, and I, I've been there because I you asked me 10 years ago if I was open minded, I would have said, yes, I'm top of the class. <laughs> but I look back 10 years ago and I think, oh, my goodness, I was so I was so close minded. I was so rigid in my thinking. So you're right. I mean, this is really it's really difficult for us to evaluate our open mindedness because we naturally believe that we are open-minded, regardless of how closed-minded we are. And there's some really interesting statistics just generally around self-awareness. I don't know if you've seen these, but researchers have found that 95% of people think that they're self-aware. But in reality, only 10 to 15% of people are self-aware, which means that 80% of us are lying to ourselves about ourselves. And I think this is one of the common areas in which we do it is in how open-minded we are. So I think because it's so difficult to see our closed-mindedness, I think that's one of the reasons why the assessment that I've developed is really helpful because it literally pits you up against thousands of others who have taken the assessment. And so how closed or open am I relative to all of these other people is one starting place. And then like what steps can someone take to start moving towards being more open? Because you mentioned politics and religion, and I'm actually going to add a third topic, uh, talking about your nutritional beliefs. Or... <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. Like, I mean, I talk about plant-based nutrition a lot, and I've seen lots of backs get up talking about that. And I like to think that I'm open-minded about it, like with what other people's choices are. But whenever you feel yourself, you feel your back getting up. And I've done, I mean, all of us have done this. All of us have heard somebody say something and then immediately say, no, they're wrong. And I'm, and then they stop listening and they tune out. So when that person starts feeling that closed feeling, what are some steps that they can take to say, okay, wait a second here. Like I'm going to try to be open. Yeah. I mean, one kind of surface level is just asking ourselves the question, what are the merits of what they're trying to say? And the challenge is, is sometimes we just don't either don't feel like we have the time or we don't want to take the time to even investigate those merits. So that's always a challenge. But I think we've got to change the story that we're telling ourselves. You see, when just to draw analogy, if we have a bucket and that represents kind of all of the knowledge that you can know on a topic and let's just stick with nutrition. So here's the bucket of knowledge on nutrition. And if you believe that your knowledge fills that bucket, so you kind of know everything there is to know, and it's a full bucket, what happens when you pour water into a full bucket? Well, it runs off of the side of the bucket, and we don't capture any of that new knowledge coming in. And so what needs to happen is we need to change our story to saying, my bucket is full to either one of two things. One, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. So we maybe want to decrease the level of water in our bucket. But the alternative is because a lot of us are experts. I mean, we do know a lot about what we're talking about. And so I think another alternative that is maybe will sit better with experts is rather than decrease the level of water in our bucket, open up our mind to say, the bucket is actually bigger than what I thought it was. And there's room for me to actually add in more information to better understand what's going on. And particularly as new science comes up out around nutrition, we're going to continue to learn and adapt and improve with that knowledge. And so I think at the core, it's that story that we tell ourselves. How full is our bucket? 
Do you feel like your bucket is full? If so, then we need to either rethink the level of water in our bucket or rethink the actual size of the bucket. And what about teenagers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's always going to be a challenge. But I think one of the things is just to say, just to kind of push back, not with, you know, you're wrong or put a hard foot down on one approach is just kind of help them take them by the hand and help them explore what are the pros and cons of these other ideas. You know, a lot of time we engage in confirmation bias. So we only seek after the information that confirms our perspective. So we need to help, you know, everybody needs help with this, including teenagers, is what is information that's out there that actually disconfirms my perspective? And the more I explore that information and at least willing to consider it, the more balanced my thinking is going to be. And is that the same strategy that you would use in the workplace, like working in a team? Yeah, for sure. And the thing about, you know, if we kind of think about this in, in terms of a workplace or, and it's not even just a workplace, it's any team. So Google did a huge study about four or five years ago called Project Aristotle. And they dove into what makes their top performing teams top performing. And they studied this for two, one year at first, and they didn't find anything. They were kind of looking at the dynamics of the team, the personalities of the team, gender, ethnicities, and they just weren't finding any sort of correlations. And so they reinvested and they did research for another year. And through that research, they identified one primary factor that drives top team performance. And that factor is psychological safety. So psychological safety is the belief that you could speak up and take risk without fear of negative repercussion. And the only way we're going to have psychological safety within a team is if we have an open mindset. We're at least open to hearing the ideas and suggestions of others. Now, having an open mindset doesn't mean that we can't take a stand because I believe we can always have a stiff back. But an open mindset means that while we have that stiff back, we also have this open front. And I think that's another way that we could kind of think about this is I think people feel like maybe if they're open-minded that they're weak and that they have to give in. And the reality is we don't have to give in to anything. We just need to take in the ideas of others and make sure we value, validate those. And the more that we're able to soak in the ideas of others, even if we disagree with them, the more we create an environment in which the best ideas come forward and that environment is the psychologically safe environment. I love that. And I've actually seen that myself in practice. My husband is the owner and CEO of his own company, and it's grown quite large. And with that comes learning how to manage teams and manage people and create culture. And for him, a really big part of it has been that, like he didn't define it this way, psychological safety, but creating an environment where it's exactly that where people feel comfortable disagreeing and speaking up and where they're not going to just get told they're wrong and where everybody's opinion is considered. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the most frustrating experiences, at least for me in my professional careers, when I presented an idea that I think can make a big difference and it's just shut down right away. And part of the reason why that's so frustrating is because when you don't feel like you have a voice, you don't feel like you have value. 
And so it's really important that we just allow people to have a voice and to just at least sit with their ideas for a minute. Not that we have to run with them, but at least sit with them for a minute and make sure that they understand that we heard them and at least tried to see their perspective. Yeah. And I think there's a certain degree of being humble when you are, quote, the leader. And I see this actually in the medical community as well, because people want like they want to be viewed as the expert and like they know all the answers. And it's hard for the expert to either be humble and say, "Okay, I actually don't know everything or because they might appear that they are less than somebody who has a who has their ego tied up in being the leader. And I really respect people in, you know, leadership positions who are humble enough to actually listen to other people and who are willing to say, I actually don't know everything. Like I have lots of experience, but I also can learn a thing or two from anybody. I love that idea. And if there's any listeners that are readers, I think one of the best books on this topic that's out there is a book written by Ray Dalio. He's the founder of Bridgewater Associates, which is the largest and most successful hedge fund of all time. And his book is called Principles. And the whole idea of the book is the idea of radical transparency and radical open-mindedness. And that what generally gets in our way of making effective decisions is two barriers, our ego barrier and our blind spot barrier. And the only way that we can get past those barriers is if we're willing to take on this open mindset because we allow other people to kind of tell our ego, like, look, you may not always be right. And we're also able to take in perspectives that we wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah, I'll check out that book. That sounds really cool. So let's move on to uh, the next set of mindsets. All right. So the next one is the difference between prevention and promotion mindsets. So when we have a prevention mindset, we are focused on not losing. When we have a promotion mindset, we're focused on winning and gains. And to explain the difference between these two, I like to use an analogy of, of being a ship captain. So if we're a ship captain and we have a prevention mindset, our number one focus becomes on not sinking. We don't want to have any problems. We don't want to take any risks. We don't want to rock the boat. So we just kind of want to maintain the status quo. But those that have a promotion mindset, it's not that they're not concerned about sinking because they don't want to sink, but their number one focus becomes a destination. And see, the difference between the two is if you have this prevention mindset and you see this storm come on the horizon, so we got the prevention mindset and we don't want to sink, we see a storm on the horizon, what are we naturally going to do? Well, you're going to worry about sinking. Right? So we're going to run for shelter, regardless of the destination. So we don't care where we end up, just as long as we don't end up in the bottom of the ocean. But those that have a promotion mindset, let's just say there's the storm coming on the horizon. Well, if we have a promotion mindset, we ask ourselves, does that storm stand between where I am and my destination? And if so, rather than run for shelter, we ask ourselves the question, what do we need to do to get through this storm effectively? So we anticipate problems and we become willing to take risks. So the big difference between the two is that those with the prevention mindset, they end up getting blown about by the winds and the currents of the sea. And they end up in a destination that they didn't choose. It's only those with a promotion mindset that become willing to brave the winds and the currents of the sea. And they're the ones that end up in a destination of their own proactive design. 
Yeah, and I think applying this to sports, it's the difference of playing to win versus playing not to lose. Yeah. And there's an actual tenseness that comes up whenever you're playing not to lose. Like you feel different in your body in the way that you and I, I growing up playing tennis, I really I would play not to lose. <laughs> and the mm -hmm. way yeah, the way that you do things is just really differently, like really different. And I love the analogy of the captain too. Yeah, I mean it's you see it everywhere, right? I mean if football you they talk about prevent defense well we don't want them to score but then what's that what ends up happening most of the time well the team ends up scoring you know a fair amount of the time and to me this is just a beautiful difference but is those with the promotion mindset they have a purpose they have a destination and they're willing to do whatever it takes to make progress towards that destination when we don't have a purpose or a destination our default becomes comfort and a prevention mindset. And so when we have a promotion mindset, we become the drivers of our lives. It's when we take on this prevention mindset that we're actually the passengers of our lives. And it's hard sometimes to see that. I mean, I, I'll be quite honest with you. I think most of my professional career, I had a prevention mindset. I just didn't want to have problems in life. But even though I had a prevention mindset, I'm still seeing movement, right? Because even if we're heading downstream, the path of least resistance, we're still passing by all of these trees and obstacles or boulders, whatever they might be. And we're, we have a tendency to mistake movement for progress. But we don't always recognize that we're heading downstream, the path of least resistance. The only way we can tell if we're fully making progress is if we know we have a destination and we can see Am I making progress between where I am now and where I want to go? And that's the only way we can tell, you know, if we're truly making progress and on the path to success. I love what you just said. You said we often mistake movement for progress. That is something that hasn't been articulated that way to me before. And I also think about this with trying to be productive in your day, like being busy versus being productive. And like the busyness is kind of the same as, as moving, but being productive is moving towards the right goal. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something I love, for people to think of. Yeah. And the way that you put it, like in terms of your business or your day, well, I mean, cause you could get bogged down in email for hours at a time, or at least I can, and you kind of mistake, Oh yeah, I, I accomplished a lot. I've plugged through 50 emails or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, did that get you any closer to your destination? Well, maybe, and maybe in an indirect way. But at the same time, I think there's value at both, you know, on a, a yearly, a quarterly, a monthly, a weekly, a daily basis is asking, what is my destination? And what are the most important things that I need to do to get to that destination on each of those different levels? And if we could set those priorities first, then that allows us to fill in the other things that are just generally a little bit less important. Second, and then that allows us to really focus on the things that's going to bring us movement towards our destination. Yeah, and I think it's intimidating too when you have a larger goal or just a larger task on your to-do list. And it's easy to get stuck in all or none thinking like, oh, if I don't have time to do that entire thing, I'm not going to do it at all. So instead, you just do all these little tiny things that don't really add up to much. When if you just spent like 20 minutes or an hour working towards that bigger goal of that bigger project and feeling good about doing that instead of checking the entire project off your list, I think that that actually really helps. And that's something that I've had to notice about myself and start working towards. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah. 
having the big destination out there in front of you, but then establishing the stepping stones to get there is really critical. Yeah. And I mean, you have a book that's coming out pretty soon that people can pre-order, which we'll link up in the show notes. But I'm sure that, I mean, (laughs) I really respect that you wrote a book because I know how hard that is because I'm trying to write one myself. And I've been struggling with the daily commitment of showing up and chipping away at it. And I think that... Uh That, that goes along perfectly with, with what we've been talking about of making the right type of movement in progress. Yeah, it's tough. And yeah, I appreciate you mentioning the book. The book is called Success Mindsets, Unlocking Greater Success in Your Life, Work, and Leadership. And so that's it's available for pre-order. It won't come out until the spring, but at least folks uh, can get a sense of that uh, or at least kind of look it up on my website and go from there. But I mean, you're right. I mean, for me, I had to make a very conscious decision of what is my destination and is my book that I'm going to write a part of that destination? Is that a setting stone, stepping stone? And then for me, I'm going to choose to wake up earlier every day and that's going to be my writing time. And I started May of 2018 and essentially working on it and about an hour and a half to two hours every morning in the course of, you know, four months, I had a first draft done. So it was just, you know, little by little, you got it there. Now, it was a lot of time thereafter to revise and, you know, make improvements and things like that. But, you know, little chunks at a time, you look back and think, oh, my goodness, I've accomplished a lot. You know, it's something I'm really proud of. I wanted to ask about the prevention mindset in comparison to the fixed mindset, or maybe that maybe people with prevention mindsets tend to have more of a fixed mindset, because fixed also avoid losses and avoid looking bad in front of other people. Is there some correlation there? Or is that just a connection that I just randomly made? That yeah, I, no bearing? It, no, I, I mean, you're, you're right. Conceptually, there seems to be some similarity. So there's a couple of different data points that I'm going to pull from to answer. One is in terms of my personal mindset assessment that I've developed. And there is a little bit of a connection there and correlation. It's not as strong as I thought it would be. But there has been research that has tried to empirically determine causation, which suggests that there's researchers that are looking at, does a growth mindset drive a promotion mindset? And does a fixed mindset drive a prevention mindset? And there is some evidence of a causal nature there. So it suggests, so as a whole, it does seem like the more growth-minded we are, the more promotion-minded we're going to be. But I guess what I'm finding in my assessment results is it may not be as strong of a correlation as we might like to see, which suggests that for some people, having a growth mindset means that they also have a promotion mindset. But for other people, that relationship just doesn't exist. Okay. And then we also talked about risk taking with a promotion mindset. And some people have a really difficult time taking even small risks. So do you have any advice for people who are trying to have more of a promotion mindset and who want to take those risks, but are just having a hard time letting go? Yeah. I mean, you could just even sit here and we can ask ourselves, how do you see risk? Do you see risk as something that should be avoided? Or do you see risk as being necessary for obtaining your goals? Right. So we, we know people who fall into either camp and all this is stemming from our mindsets, these prevention and promotion mindsets. And I think at the end of the day, what we need to do is we need to have a clear purpose and a clear destination. And then we just need to be honest with ourselves. Are we willing to do what it takes to get to that destination, to take the steps that we need to? 
And there's an element of faith there, right? Sometimes you say, I don't know if this is the right step. This seems risky, but I don't see a better alternative. And in fact, I see it as maybe the only path to get to my destination. So let me take the step and let me try it. And so along with this, what we also need to keep in mind is even if we misstep, even if we fail, we're going to learn something about that that's going to better position us to succeed moving forward. Let me give you just a quick example of this. So when I first started up my own consulting business and I was writing my book, I was seeing a lot of these influencers online that were promoting the idea of, oh, you need to create an online course. And I said, oh, you know, they're pitching all these ideas. Oh, it's great passive income. Uh, You know, all you have to do is record it once, put it up and it's good to go. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, sounds great. So I was like, well, let me let me put together an online course and I'll do something just a little bit quick and dirty to learn the process. And so I did that. I, you know, it was a financial investment and I didn't have a whole lot of of capital to invest at the time. But I like I'm going to take a risk here because I've got this goal out here of kind of positively influencing others, bettering my family's lifestyle, you know, all of these different things. So I was like, okay, I think this is worth the risk. At the end of the day, what I found is that having an online course is the exact opposite of passive income, at least to begin with, and it just never took off. It never got off the ground. And and I, you know, I don't even think I made back my investment in what I put into it, particularly in terms of time. And I look at that situation and we can look at back on the similar situations in our lives and we could see that as, oh, this was a giant failure. This was a huge misstep. But I look back on that situation and I say, I'm grateful for having taken that misstep because for two reasons. One, I now have you know knocked one thing off of my list of something to try. I have better, I feel like I'm in a position uh, where I am better directed to get to my destination because that's not even something I'm going to worry about right now. But second, it's I learned a bunch of things along the process. I learned, you know, about marketing. I learned about social media. I learned about tools on how to create an online course. So when I put forth, put out my book, well, I'm probably, I may roll out another online course, but at least I'm probably going to put together a webinar that, you know, people pre-order the book or something like that. Here's a free webinar for purchasing, you know, something along those lines. Now I have the uh, skills and the tool set to be able to take advantage of situations moving forward in the future. So it all kind of depends on how we just, again, the mindsets that we take on it. Do we want to see it as a negative thing or do we want to see it as a positive thing? But at the end of the day, it's just what's your purpose, what's your destination, and is that step that you're thinking about taking going to get you closer to that, at least you know, based upon your current level of knowledge? Yeah. And I imagine spending the time organizing your thoughts into a curriculum for a course probably helped with the structure of writing a book too. Yep, for sure. Yep. All right. So let's talk about outer versus inward. The last one. (laughs) Yeah. So we've got inward, which is the negative mindset and we've got outward, which is the positive mindset. So when we have an inward mindset, we see ourselves as being more important than others. And when we see ourselves being more important than others, this causes us to see them as objects. But when we have an outward mindset, we see others and their needs and wants and feelings as being just as important as our own. And when we have this mindset, this allows us to see other people as people 
as opposed to objects. So let me give you a, a great example of this. The example comes from Benjamin Zander. He's the founder and conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And he said during the first half of his career, he had the stereotypical inward mindset of conductors. He said he viewed his musicians not as people, but as instruments there to play the music the way that he wanted it to be played, because he wanted all of the notoriety. And so if he could get them to play the way that he wanted to be played, he would get all the credit, he would get the spotlight, he would get all the value. But he said he had an epiphany about halfway through his career, and his epiphany involved the idea that while he may be the face of the orchestra, he doesn't play a note. So this caused him to shift his mindset. Instead of see his musicians as instruments, he started to see his musicians as people. And rather than get them to play the music the way that he wanted it to be played, he started to ask himself, how can I get them to play the music in a way that they are best capable of playing it? And this, he just said, this was a completely different approach that shaped not only him, but the quality of the music that the orchestra produced as a whole. And so the basic idea is, are we seeing people as people or do we see others as objects and causing us generally to treat them as being less important than ourselves. And can you give another example of what that would be like at work, working in a team? Yeah, in fact, I just, uh, so I teach, I'm teaching three different classes right now. And I had all of my classes take this mindset assessment. And I was really shocked because 80% of my students had an inward mindset. I mean, I've seen some organizations where it's like 65, 70%, but I had never seen 80. One of my classes was even 90%, but as a whole, it was 80%. And I, I just said, okay, all of us, you know, in terms of most of us in the classroom are coming into class with this inward mindset that we essentially are seeing our classmates as objects. I'm the important one here. So I said, and the, the class is team leadership skills. And so I said, okay, you're going to be put in teams here in a few weeks. How do you think your team experience is going to be if all of you come into the team thinking, I'm the important one here, and all of you are my instruments to help me get a better grade? What is that team atmosphere going to be like? Is it going to be collaborative or is it going to be competitive? Do you think you're going to get work together really smoothly or do you think it's going to be a lot of conflict? And there, you know, there was kind of like you could see the light bulbs going off like, oh, my goodness, you're so right. This is the reason why I hate working in student teams is because I take the wrong mindset towards it. I see other people as there to help me succeed as opposed to see how can I help us succeed? And so just that flip of the switch has a huge impact on the climate and the dynamic within a work environment. Yeah, and it seems like the best way to improve at that would be to do more work in a team. I'm embarrassed to say, but like this was my lowest score. It was a 5.25 out of 7 on the, the scale. Uh huh. Welcome to the club. I, this is the one I struggle with the most. Yeah, and it says like slightly more outward than average, but I thought, well, I'm really empathetic and I really care about people and... Like it was hard to accept that. Um, so, but I also don't work in teams very often. Like I'm a sol single sport athlete. Like I no. work as a solo entrepreneur, but it's something that actually I have been trying to work on as 
being more open for my relationships with people. And a lot of people who are like really focused, like listening to the show, really focused, like cyclists or athletes, it's like, well, I got to get my workout and I got to like skip the, that kid's birthday party or, or whatever, because it's all about me and my training. And I don't know if, if that is playing into the more inward mindset, but it's like, I'm important. My training is more important than that kid's birthday party. And like, that's where I call myself out where it's obvious to me. So yeah, that was like, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> no. And, and those, the, your examples resonate with me. I, you know, I, I've struggled with those same things. Let me give you another example that I think is really interesting. So if people are interested in diving into learning more about inward and outward mindsets, there's a consulting group called the Arbinger Institute, and they've written a few books that are just fantastic. So one is leadership and self-deception. Another is anatomy of peace. And then a third is the outward mindset. And in these books, they give an example of, so you're married, right? You mentioned you're married. And do you have any children? Uh, not yet. Okay. So I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And in this example, they paint the picture of a couple who have, a, they have a toddler, but they're sleeping at night in their own bed. The toddler's in another room. And, and it's two o'clock in the morning and the toddler starts crying. So the in this situation, and it could be either party, but we'll just say the husband wakes up because the toddler's crying, and the husband thinks, I should go and get the baby and probably change the baby's diaper. And, you know, so that's what they, he thinks he should do. But then he decides, no, I'm too tired. I don't want, I'm not going to do that. And so when he makes this decision to not do it, he starts to engage in what we call self-deception. So he starts to justify why he didn't get out of bed to help the baby. He starts to say, oh, well, I'm, I've got a busy day ahead of me. I need my sleep. I've got this important meeting that I have to go to. And then so that's step one is he starts to justify and make himself maybe more important than what he really is. But then also, because the baby's still crying, then the, the husband will go and think, well, why isn't my wife get up? Like, she's a terrible mother. Like, can't she tell that the baby's crying and she's not willing to help? And so even in his mind, he's now thinking, I'm really important. My wife is this, you know, not very good mom. And, you know, let's just say the baby ends up falling asleep. And then the husband falls back asleep and he wakes up in the morning. All of a sudden, he's kind of a little peeved at his wife. And, you know, she was asleep the whole time. She did nothing wrong. But in his mind, he's thinking, she didn't help me. And so he's got this, I'm more important than she is mentality. And so what this gets us in is this self-deception cycle. And if he starts acting negatively towards the wife, well, the wife is going to respond to that. And then it creates this destructive cycle as a whole. So it's a really, really interesting ideas in these books. But I think these inward and outward mindsets the way that they affect our lives is in the quality of relationships that we have. And that could be with within our families. It could be within teams. It could be within organizations. It could be within, you know, even our competitors, how we view them at the same time. So it's all about the quality of our relationships. I think that's a really great example. And that's something that all of us can start to practice. And life is so much better when you don't have resentment. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I think that this was a really awesome conversation full of a lot of really useful information and things that people can immediately put into practice. If people want more from you, where's the best place for them to find you, find your book, find more of this information? 
Yeah, you can find everything on my website, which is ryangotfordson.com. And on there, you can pre-order the book. There's free access to the mindset assessment. So folks go there. Also, if anybody wanted to connect with me, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I don't know how many folks in your audience will be on LinkedIn, but that's probably the secondary place to go. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and your knowledge. And thanks for having me. I loved all the great questions. Thank you. I highly encourage you guys to go take that mindset assessment tool. Once you get the results, it actually goes into each of the individual mindsets. So you'll get to hear or read about them all over again if that was a little bit too fast because there's a lot of information to take in. And it's also just great to get to know yourself better so that you can show up better in the world, you can perform better, and you can help others and also play to your strengths. It's also important to recognize and know your weaknesses. And as we alluded to in this show, being honest with yourself is sometimes one of the hardest things to do because it can make you feel like you're less than or make you feel stressed. But being able to identify these parts of yourself is actually such a great opportunity because that is an area where you can significantly improve and everything in your life changes whenever you can do that. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. I really appreciate that you guys are part of my community. If you want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, make sure you sign up for sonyalooney.com slash newsletter, my free weekly newsletter. No spam, just good stuff sonyalooney.com slash newsletter if you want to make sure that you are on the list. Awesome, guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you back here in a few days. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. Bye.